Welcome to our podcast. I'm Parker Talbot here with Caleb Plum, and here we're talking about Disney movies and critiquing them and giving our thoughts on them, giving maybe a bit of history and a bit of trivia. And uh, so we're excited for you to tune into our first episode of the podcast. Like I said, I'm Parker Talbot, originally from uh, uh, South Jordan, Utah, just outside Salt Lake, now living in Pensacola, Florida. And here's my uh, good friend, longtime friend, Caleb Plum. Yeah, this has been a long time coming, hasn't it? It has. We've, we've, been, we've, been, for a bit. we've, been, ta- we've been talking about podcasts for like, oh gosh, <laughs> over a year now. Yeah, no, it's been yeah. it's been a long time. Yeah, but like, like you said, I, I'm Caleb Plum. I, I'm currently here in in Kansas and just been a big fan of Disney as long as I can remember. Really, I can't remember a time in my life that Disney wasn't there. Same, same. I remember watching the. Uh, my parents' VH, VHS tapes with the uh, Disney classics. I'm pretty sure some of the VHS tapes they have are like the OGs. Like we're talking like the 80s, late 80s, early 90s VHS tapes when they first came out to video for some of these. So yes, and we're all we're all still holding on to them because we we hope they're gonna be worth money someday, but they're, they're not today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I won't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if give it you know give it like 30 more years. You know, we always you always see those stupid Facebook articles about oh these DV these VHS tapes you may have may be worth a lot of money and the front cover is always one of the jewel case Disney movies but then you look on eBay or on something and it's like oh they're only worth like twelve bucks wow they went up maybe like five percent since the nineties that's not a good <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's yeah. not a good uh, upward percentage yeah no I think. I think in the future it'll eventually get up there, but it's going to have to be like either the full collection, like the full Walt Disney Masterpiece collection going on, or like the first edition stuff. I'm pretty sure my parents have the first edition Fantasia VHS, where like the the white, I mean, the the plastic case, instead of being white, is black. You always remember the movie was cool when like it had the black uh, plastic rather than the white plastic. It's like, ooh, mysterious. So, anyway. Yeah, if my research correct, like I would think, like surprisingly, one of the lesser, like really popular Disney movies, but like Pinocchio, Pinocchio was like the first Disney movie that they actually started releasing, uh, very wide to the audience because you know it didn't do that well when it came out, when when Walt Disney first did, and the Disney Corporation was very like protective of their brand, so then when the CEO changed from. Uh, I believe Roy Disney to the next one. I, I can't recall his name. Already, we're starting the podcast bad with forgetting people's names. Okay, I think. It, it, but when when I, the next guy came up, he was like, you know, we need to make money, and what's better way to make money than to repackage the classic Disney movies? And when they put V and they they used Pinocchio, and it was a crazy success, and that's what made them be like, get them all out on VHS. Come on, let's do it. Yeah. So that, yeah, that would be one I'd be interested in grabbing, like the first edition of Pinocchio on VHS. Yeah, I'm gonna, my my parents might have that. I'll have to do a check. I think my parents have that. Oh, eBay it. eBay it, bro. Uh, I'll have to, I'll have to <laughs> take a look at that. So, anyway, but and, the movie today, we're talking Black Cauldron today. So, oh, uh, dear. This movie. This movie. Is that bad? It, it's such it's such a it's so beautifully bad though. I don't know. It's just I for 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 viewers' background, I am a huge fan. Like trust me, if you slap if you made something in the eighties or the seventies and <laughs> it is animated and it is dark and it is fantasia, you know, like flipping. I'm a huge fan of Fire and Ice. If anybody knows that movie, it's a the Ralph Bashke movie and it is just insane in the membrane and it is so crazy and <laughs> movies like that and heavy metal and um the the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings movies, all those famous movies in the eighties and seventies, they are like my thing. And this seems like it would be a better version of those, but it for some reason it just it lacks in some areas. Maybe that's the difference. I'm not saying I love it. It definitely has some flaws, but I think that's maybe slightly the difference in our opinions. I'm not thinking it's bad per se because I didn't grow up on the 70s, 80s fantasy animated films. 
you know, outside the the the, the the Disney realm. I think the only animated films that I grew up with outside the Disney realm was for the most part, the, the Don Bluth, which we'll talk more of, I think in this podcast, because Don Bluth and Black Cauldron have some interesting, make some interesting points of irony, I feel like. Um, but yeah, I thought overall Black Cauldron wasn't great. It wasn't great. Uh, but I, I, I consider it a fun movie. If you're willing to, turn off your brain for a tiny bit, turn off your, I guess, turn off the critical side of your brain. It, it's fun, but it, 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 there's certainly some reasons why it's not memorable. I'll put it that way. There's no reasons why it's kind of in the, the, oh yeah, Black Cauldron section of, of Disney. So. The one that Disney would hope you forget. <laughs> yeah. Well, it actually, you know, I, I, I just probably talk about history and trivia later, but I will say from my research, it actually is a movie that uh, they say the movie to almost bankrupt Disney. It was the most expensive animated movie made up to that time. Um, and it, the weekend it came out, it came out. This is sad to admit. Please still watch the movie if you haven't seen it, because this is going to make it sound terrible, and it's not this bad. But it came out the same weekend as the Care Bears movie and lost to the Care Bears movie. So Not, this, not only the Care Bears movie, but the Care Bears movie had already been out for like four weeks. So oh, it's, really? it's not okay. like they released it the same day. They, oh, the Caribou movie was out like four weeks. Oh, that's sad. So, yeah, that's even that. Yeah. Once again, we really, you know, if you're watching this podcast, you need to go watch the movie first because we're going to spoil the hell out of it and just, yeah. But yeah. Parker, do you have any, what, what are your, do you have any memories of your first time watching this or, or any significant times when this movie yeah. came up in your life? You know, the only thing I remember is I remember watching, you know, VHS tapes that uh, when I was little, and I remember them, one, I can't remember which one it was, but one of them had a commercial on it for Black Cauldron, and Disney was releasing Black Cauldron out of the vault, and we had never heard of it before, and so I just remember my parents buying it, and, and the VHS cover was so was so beautiful, it had like the Black Cauldron in the background of the, the, the background of the title with like this shiny holographic purplish, material with the really shiny holographic covers so it looked super cool so i just remember that and then i remember um kind of laughing when i found out you know 20 years after the fact i think that was 1997 release and i found out that that was the first time disney had ever released it on on uh home video because they were so ashamed of the black cauldron because it once again nearly almost destroyed their animation department in in the mid 80s so I didn't know at the time, but we were getting the first version ever to come out uh, back in 1997, um, and uh, that, that's that's what I remember. So I always I always had a memory of this this movie because we had the first time I had watched it was during my first overnight sleepover at a friend's house, and you know, maybe it's it's probably different nowadays, but back in the 90s, you know, sleepovers were like the thing because you didn't really have too much else to do on a sleepover besides play. And I don't know if it's still, I don't know if kids still have this phobia, but that first night that you're sleeping in a house that's not yours and there's nobody that your family is there, it gets a little scary and weird. <laughs> so true. watching Black Cauldron... <laughs> As a little kid, let's just say that night didn't end up me sitting outside of the parents' door waiting for them to wake up. And then one of them, I guess, got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, almost tripped over me, and then they called my parents to come get me in the middle of the night. <laughs> it, it, it was a horrible experience. And I never remember the movie, but I know we watched it. But that night, I was just like, I want to go home. Like, it was, I was one of those kids. And I never forget and I even think I came across that friend a few years ago. And I was like, do you remember that first sleepover we had? And I like freaked out and I, had, and I, my parents came and got me. And he's like, yeah, that was a little weird. I was like, black cauldron, man. But <laughs> Well, I, I don't blame for being scared. I mean, I feel like that movie has, I would say one of the scarier Disney villains for sure in the Horned King. Um, so no. I think he has a very scary design. I wouldn't call him scary per se because he really doesn't do anything scary yeah. besides like walk around okay, and <laughs> yeah. Good point. But, but, That's a better way to put it. Yeah. 
but you know that John Hurt voice and everything is just on point. Mm-hmm. It's true. On and the point. Fact at the end, his whole his whole plot is to raise an army of the undead. It's pretty dark for a Disney movie, actually. Um, so you know, but let for our viewers' sake, you know, like five minutes or less. What what what's a quick synopsis of of the Black Cauldron? So. So the Black Cauldron, uh, Disney decided to make the movie. They they purchased the rights of a novel series by Lloyd Alexander called The Chronicles of Perdine. And this movie actually is not – there is a book. I believe it's the second of the five that is actually labeled The Black Cauldron. And from my research, it has nothing to do with that book. <laughs> it, it doesn't. And I'll tell you why. I, I've actually read the first book of that series. I read it in school. Uh, called the Book of Three, and the Horn King is in the first book. He's not a monster like he's portrayed in in the movie. He's a human, uh, and I believe he actually dies in the first book. So the Black Cauldron book, if I'm remembering correctly, does not have the Horn King in the book. So there's, yeah, yeah. Lloyd Lloyd Andrew, I have a quote here from the author, and he 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 saw the movie and he said first. I have to say there is no resemblance between the book the mo- the book and the movie. <laughs> Having said that right. though, he actually loved the movie. He said he found it very enjoyable. Oh nice. Nice. Well, that's that's, that's, that's kind of cool. We got a seal of approval. But yeah, a quick synopsis. So we got our hero. Uh he's a little ki- he's a kid and his name is uh Thor- Thorin. I'm horrible Terran. at pronouncing names. Terran. Yeah, Terran. So yeah. we got Terran and my first question, where is his parents? So he's living out in the woods with this old kind of wizard dude. I don't know if he's a wizard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't really call him yeah. a wizard. Yeah. They don't really call him a wizard in, in on in like he is labeled in, in in like in Disney Wikipedia and all that stuff. He's labeled as an enchanter. Enchanter. And so I'm like, oh like why and then so they have a pig, Henwin. Mm-hmm. Very adorable pig. Very adorable pig. It's true. Very true. Even has eyelashes. Very cute. Yeah, with with very specific powers. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. you know, we have, you know, you can look at Harry Potter. Oh, we have, you know, wands that produce magic. Lord of the Rings, it's a magical ring. Black Cauldron, we got a pig that you have to put his head in water, its head in water, and you can see the future. Yes, and you have to say, like, a certain... I can't remember what it is, but it's an incantation to make him. Yeah. Make him yeah. 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 And and so. you see better Disney movies because I don't know if you noticed, but the Horn King in the first vision is totally one of the ghosts from Night and Bold Mountain from Fantasia. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, almost funny. the exact same design. <laughs> that's funny. You know, you can actually see that in other Disney movies too. Um, real quick, if you look at the dancing in Robin Hood when they're singing the phony king of England. And if you look at the dancing in Snow White, when the dwarves are dancing with Snow White, it's, it's identical, by the way. It's actually, that and that's, and just, original, yeah, yeah. that's just for when, you know, Disney was dead and they just were trying to pump them out cheaply. Yeah. Cause you know, the, the, yeah, it's yeah. the same dancing in Aristocats. Like everybody that's ever read those Facebook articles know that happened. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. That, that's Disney in the seventies and eighties. So. Yep. So, but yeah, so uh, Dolan, the wizard guy, is like, "Oh crap!" The Horn King knows about this pig, and the, the and the Horn King wants the Black Cauldron, which Gandalf tells us. Which that's a funny that's a funny thing. I don't know if I t- I think I told you this, but yeah. So the intro guy plays the voice of Gandalf in the 1977 movie, The Hobbit, the cartoon. His name is you uh, Josh. Yeah, his name is Josh Hudson. Huh. Also, likewise, John Hurt, the voice of the Horn King, he plays Aragorn in the 1978 yeah. Ralph Bastian Lord of the Rings. Interesting. Yeah, so it's like this movie is riddled with other better 80s and 70s fantasy classic people. So it has the makings of greatness. That's the first thing I noticed. And this black cauldron, which is this, e- which apparently holds the soul of this evil king that we never hear of again, has the power to bring 
people back from the dead and create an immortal army. Correct. So it's bad news. Bad news. Correct. So, and if I remember correctly, then at that point, Karen, uh, Karen is off with with Henwin, um, and 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 the the the, the wizard guy, the sorcerer, uh, tells him to be very careful. Don't let Henwin get away. But then Karen's all distracted. I have to stay here to take care of this fat cat. Why I can't yeah. come with you? <laughs> Reasons. Uh, true. There's no. Yeah. There's no. <laughs> I never thought about that. It's true. Yeah. The sorcerer can't go with with Taryn. So Taryn has to go by himself to get this pig as far away as possible, so the hen, so one king doesn't find it. But then Taryn, in fantasizing about being a great warrior and picking up a stick and pretending he's sword fighting, lets Henwin go. Henwin gets captured by these winged creatures, and he's brought to the Horn King's castle, which is really only like up the road. From where yeah, that's what I was time. thinking. I'm like, he literally is walking for five minutes before this pig gets captured. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then, Dolan, and then, the wizard, is, is is still in the cabin like, it! like, you just left. <laughs> Seriously. And then on top of that, he only has to walk like five minutes more to get to the Horn King's castle. <laughs> it, it exactly. Of... <laughs> so, yeah, that's why I say it's a fun movie. You got to turn off your brain that way. So, Taryn has lost Henwin. He then runs into Gurgi, which is this furry thing. I don't, I don't even know. Um, what do you think about Gurgi? What do you think about Gurgi? You know, I think Gurgi's actually a highlight of a character. Because here's the thing. Karen, and we'll get into it later. What's her name? Elwyn. Elwyn, the, uh, the princess girl that he meets. They're kind of flat. I mean, they kind of have personalities, but I think they depend so much on just, like, tropes that they don't give them real personalities. They're kind of like uh, the two stereotypes walking around. Whereas Gurgi actually kind of has some flavor and some flair to him. It's kind of annoying, but I think he shows more personality than our two main characters. Um, so I, I don't mind Gurgi. Um, I'm glad he's not in the movie any more than he is. I think he could become obnoxious, but overall I, I like Gurgi. I, I could not decide if Gurgi was a Jar Jar Binks or not. Which I, I don't know your I don't know your specific feelings on Jar Jar Binks, but I, he teetered so much. He had an annoying voice. He's got an annoying catchphrase. That's true. <laughs> you know, it, but I find myself like in my normal like that's another thing from Black Cauldron. I find myself telling my wife like, uh, man, I could use some munchies and crunchies right now. <laughs> So, <laughs> you know, I feel like ultimately to me, I feel like he's not as bad as Jar Jar because I'm not a Jar Jar fan. And here's why. Jar Jar is surrounded by other good characters. Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, even C-3PO to an extent if you want some comic relief, R2-D2. So, but, 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 but Gurgi I like because he's not surrounded by great characters. So he kind of stands out as actually being the only character with, uh, and the only character that really grows, I think, too. The other characters are relatively static, uh, whereas Gurgi is selfish at first, but then ends up becoming not selfish in the end. Um, and and uh, I guess we'll get more to that in our synopsis, because eventually what happens is he you know, runs into Gurgi, um, then he realizes he has to go to the castle to save Henwin. Gurgi says, they're going to die if you go in there. So he leaves Taryn alone to go to the castle. Gurgi, meanwhile, is like, oh, I'm a coward. Oh, well. And so Taryn makes it inside the castle to rescue Henwin, uh, but then gets captured. And uh, they try to... Which let me, yeah. Which, and let me say, so it's, it's shortly before he gets captured, we're introduced to the Horn King. Yes. And can I just say, that's where the movie, I feel, shines. Like the the design of this castle and that they did not, it's very interesting. So this, for my research, is one of the most, besides Snow White, this movie has the most cuts where the scene was done. Like it was in the movie and they took it out because it was too scary. Really? And I, yeah, and you can totally see it. And I, 
I need to get the DVD or something to see those deleted scenes because apparently they get so dark that little kids during pre-screenings were literally running out of the theater. Really? And what, Roy what? Disney and Jeffrey Katzenberg were just like, we got to make this movie sell. You need to take this out. Uh, well, it's interesting you say that because even after taking those out, Black Cauldron is actually the first ever animated PG movie ever. So that's really that Disney good. made. Yeah. 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 And that's saying something too, because here's the thing is nowadays, it's like almost every animated movie that comes out is PG. And I think they do that partly just to get people to see it. Cause no one wants to see a G rated movie anymore. But right. we're talking about this is a PG rated movie that, while at the same time, you know, three years, four, four years later, 1989, Little Mermaid is G, and the freaking witch gets impaled by a ship. Aladdin is G, and you know he's running out of collapsing caves, and and there's a giant snake. Uh, I'm trying to think of other examples here. Hunchback of Notre Dame is G. And that movie needs to be straight up. That needs to be PG or PG thirteen. That yeah. I can't wait till we get to that movie. So, so that being said, when we say Black Cauldron is PG and kind of creepy, it was a big thing that is PG because a whole slew of movies for the next decade that would be rated G would likely easily be rated PG now. So, to have a movie rated PG then, that was a big deal for Black Cauldron. I, yeah, and the next, I think the next PG movie was Nightmare Before Christmas. I think that was the next animated, yeah, I believe that was the next yeah. animated one. And then, but like, and like you said, when they hit, you know, I don't know, I don't even know if like Princess and the Frog or Tangle or PG-13. Maybe I could check my shelf real quickly. But yeah, yeah, it's just, it was a big deal and it was such a dark turn. And also... Another fir- this movie has a bunch of firsts. It's really significant because this was the first animated Disney movie without any song. That's they they cool. even have That's a princess. True. Yeah, no, that no one sings. That's true. That's true. Um, interesting. I didn't think about that. So yeah, so Tangled was P- so Tangled is PG. So now I'm just moving down the Disney collection now. Now I'm very interested. What Treasure Planet PG? Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me too much. I think even Lilo and Stitch got a PG, had a few laser blasts in it. I mean, you know, so that's showing, A, the trend is changing, and I feel like it's very rare to find any, even Disney movie that's G nowadays. But B, once again, you know, you have a, a, a sea witch that gets impaled in 1989 while lightning... Tarzan? Tarzan is G. What the hell? You literally, yeah, you literally see the parents' dead bodies and blood on the wall. Wow, that's that's surprising. surprising. Good job, MPA. eh? (laughs) Uh, So, okay, so that being said, you can definitely see our point that Black Party getting a PG was huge because I mean, and and I will say it definitely deserves it. (laughs) It definitely deserves a PG rating. Yeah, Um, yeah, and so we're introduced to the Horn King, who is is scary beyond all belief, but he just doesn't do anything scary. He just looks, he just looks so good. And I think one of the things that stand out and the first time it stood out to me was in the scene where the Horan King shows up uh, and something I didn't know. I, so this movie was also the first animated Disney movie that incorporated CGI. Really? I totally, yeah, I totally had a mix up. I swore, I kept swearing up and down that it was, Great mouse detective. That's what I thought too. But it, it turns out that these were in production at the same time because Great Mouse Detective came out just a few years after Black Cauldron. And yeah, we know we Great Mouse Detective really goes into it with the CG when they're in the clock tower and whatnot. Yeah. But they used very subtle CGI elements in the Black Cauldron. You can tell with the, especially how the glow and there's the misting part. The mist part, I believe, is CGI. And this movie is a kind of it, it mosh pauses a lot of those elements because this was also the first. So uh, since the Jungle Book, this was the first movie that Disney used the multiplane camera with. Which for a, I'm really into the multiplane camera and its history. But what people, if, if for our viewers that may not know, the multiplane camera was the method that Disney incorporated to create the illusion of in-depth backgrounds. So you would pretty much 
have different shades, you have different panes of glass with the background painted on and they were all put into this big, huge camera. Like it took like a, like a whole studio floor to, to fill up this camera. And it, the panes were on these sliders that were hooked up to the camera so that as the camera zoomed in or did, the panes would move in certain ways to give that illusion like you were looking into a deep, dark forest. They've, they've incorporated techniques like that with King Kong, but Disney was the one that kind of pioneered it the most with Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Interesting. And okay. he continued, he can, yeah, and he continued to use it till Jungle Book. But after Jungle Book, they stopped using it. Well, they brought it back for the Black Cauldron, and then they stopped using it again because then and CGI he, took over. Took over the the deal. If, if so, yeah, Disney. I guess we won't go into this whole thing now. But Disney, after Walt Disney died, you can. I think part of the reason why Disney itself struggled was not so much the loss of Walt Disney, but the loss of. I think innovation, they, everything was very, tried to be very cheaply done. We talked about the similar dance sequences that copy one another, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and then they stopped using that, that camera and it was just plaster to get it out quick. And they're not bad movies, but you can tell why they're not as, uh, as successful, but they just, they never got financially excess. They, they always had high, like when, when they came out with Snow White, they had, that you know, Snow White was one of the highest grossing films of the time, if not the high grossest film. So every film after that, even though they made a lot of mo- money, you know, Pinocchio made a lot of money, Dumbo made a lot of money, Fantasia didn't. Yeah, that's but they just they were all considered failures by the company just because they could not get to that. And then Snow White, I mean, that was well, not Snow White with Cinderella. They had another big hit in the fifties, but then after Snow, after Cinderella, every single one was just considered a failure until the little mermaid brought them back out of that. So this, yeah. yeah. And it's just, yeah. It's so crazy how the, this film almost buried it. And you can almost, you can see the elements you were talking about the VHS release. It's crazy to think that a movie wouldn't receive a VHS or a DVD release so many years after it didn't come out till what what did you say 98 90, 90, 97 98 somewhere around there the original we count 85 and so like yeah you know you think they would have released it on vhs you know i can't i don't know when vhs exactly came out but not soon after that so you think they would have released it pretty soon after the fact but yeah they were ashamed of it they kept it in their vaults so um yeah. but so it's crazy our, crazy yeah so on our, on our quick synopsis, um, I, you know, I, real quick, I think, he, yeah, he meets the Horn King. Horn King tries to make him make Henwin do his magic. Um, but then I think what, he gets scared by the Horn King and, and accidentally splashes the water out of the bowl. Yeah, but then there's the big chase yeah. scene and he throws the pig into the water, which should have killed right. it. Anima- you know, and that's the animation logic, though. We won't be too picky on that. Yeah. And he gets captured and put into the dungeon, and we get to meet our other main characters of the story. Mm-hmm. And we meet Elwyn, El- El- I think. Elwyn. Yep. Uh, but then the 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 bard dude, the bard of their party. Oh, yeah, Flam, uh, Slim Flam, I think. Yep. Yep. Slim Flam. Yep. Which. Yeah. Uh, so, a uh, very interesting trivia. Um. I, I am so horrible with names. What's the princess's name? Air. I keep wanting to say Erwin. You see, this this movie is so in deep with Lord of the Rings. I'm getting it confused. <laughs> I know. At Terran, I think is the prince. Yeah. No, 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 not Terran. The princess. Oh, the princess. Uh, yeah, I think it's yeah. Erwin. Something like that. I, I know. Yeah. I but she was originally supposed to be played by Haley Mills. Really? Which. Yes, like yeah. I had found, they even had TV specials filmed with her narrating it and her being like, "I am recording for the character of Princess What's Her Do." Let's just call her Princess Bland Face because she is so okay. bland. As she's probably the blandest <laughs> Disney princess. Yeah, oh, Princess yeah. Bland Bland, and yeah, but then she just I believe it was Roy Disney was like, "No, we're going to cast someone else." But that would have been so interesting. Someone, you know, 
you know, she goes back to Pollyanna, the parent trap, <laughs> that darn cat. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's, it would have been very interesting to have such a Disney alumni, you know, mm-hmm. such a star for the Disney company, someone who met Disney personally yeah. to be in this film. I think it would have I don't know if it would have elevated, but it would've been a very interesting little tie-in to yeah, the Disney I I, family. She actually got her start on Disney. Pollyanna, I think was her first film. So, um yeah, I think and I would have probably made Princess Bland Bland less bland. <laughs> Yes, Bam 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 Bam. Yeah. And then we got the bard guy who is, I don't understand, maybe it's in the books. Once again, maybe I need to read this book, but I don't see half of his purpose. Like his purpose literally just seems to be to be sexually harassed by the three witches later in the film. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think, I think, yeah, I think they tried to make him an additional comic relief and some sort of balance between Carol and, and, and Princess Bland Bland. <laughs> but I, I yeah, he really story wise he has absolutely no purpose. And I really think he's there and in a sense it's a good thing that he's there. I think we only think he's there to make it less bland. Because if it was just Carolyn Karen and this princess, it would be an extremely just dull, dull journey. So I think he's there. Yeah, it's just, almost like a peanut butter sandwich. He's the peanut butter, and they're just two pieces of white bread. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And then Gurgi comes in with the jelly for a hot minute. So okay, um, yeah, for a hot minute. Yeah. So I think. Right. So yeah. So they, they meet this flim flam. They end up escaping the castle because uh, Taryn finds a magic sword. Uh, it doesn't really get explained either, by the way, what that sword is. You know, it's just some magic sword lying around. I don't know. And uh, I like the idea, though. I like the idea of, you know, something, something help. You know, I do like that little story. You know, Taryn, Taryn, besides Gurgi, is the only one that has kind of an arc where, you know, he, he sacrifices what he wants for the sake of someone else, which is, you know, exactly what Gurgi does. But so it's very cool that he's able to, even though you know, he's able to find something that gives him the talent that he really desires. Like that, that I find very admirable. And the effect is really cool. And the music and the sound, it's almost like if I could probably hear the sound of that sword, like coming alive and starting fighting and being able, I'd be able to identify like, oh, that sounds like the sword. Cause it had a very distinctive shing. Oh, it did. It almost did. like a lightsaber. I love yeah. No, I love the sword. I just wish they give you some more context behind it. Like, why is it true, magic? True. He literally just finds this magic sword somewhere in the castle. I don't know. But he, the, uh, the Horde King's like, damn it, where's my where's my magic letter opener? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, yeah, they, they 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 get out with the magic sword, uh, and now they're trying to figure out uh, how to how to still find Henwin. Uh, and all along there because they want they want to find the cauldron first and destroy it yes. before the Horn King does. Yes, that. Yes, so I'll find yeah. first. Get to it for the Horn King does, but then they find themselves sucked into a random whirlpool uh, along their way, and that takes them to kind of an underground pixie fairy world thing. I, I, it, it doesn't really specify that like these mining fairies. I don't even know. Uh, and they've been they, and they're good, and they've been keeping Henwin. Yeah, and here's here's my question about. And this goes back to, once again, something that bugged me in the beginning of the movie is, is a line that Dar- Darwin, whatever the wizard dude's name is, yeah. says. And he's like, oh, I'm the only one that knows about Hedwood's power. It seems the Horn <laughs> King has found out. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> How? Yeah. Because the fairies make another line. Apparently the Horn King, the super powerful guy, which was he a king of? <laughs> And it's yeah. like, he can't find the cauldron, but these fairies are like, oh, yeah, we know where the cauldron is. <laughs> That's true. Man, this is not the and, Thinking Man movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, these guys, like, at first I'm like, damn, the Horn King, he's good at his job. He found out about this pig when nobody else did. But apparently he just, he, he was, maybe he's not subscribed to the fairies, fairies email. It's like, it was sent out <laughs> an email, oh, by the way, so staff is aware, you know, the black cauldron is, 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 is in location B, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so the fairies then tell them where the black cauldron is. They said, hey, we'll keep track of Henwin. Don't worry about him. But here's where the cauldron is. 
So they, you know, so then they, they, they lead them right, get them back into normal land outside of their underground dwelling. And then they, the black cauldron is supposedly, uh, they go to kind of a swampy witch nest place. I don't even know. Um, and that's where they meet the three witches who I think might loosely be based on mythology because um, if you read the Fablehaven books, there's also three very similar witches that like to make bargains, just like these three. So I, I think there's something something there. But they meet these three witches who, uh, they're interesting. Uh, one of them just has a huge crush on Flim Flam and just, it, it gets kind of, for a Disney kid, we, get, a bit edgy. we we know where that <laughs> PG rating comes from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's PG for scary images and for I, I I would I I really don't know what PG for, but like hypothetically, I'm saying it should be PG for scary images and then suggestive material because they just yeah this it's just it's weird <laughs> just, the way she tries to flirt with this. And, let, and let's be and let's be and let's be perfectly honest. If the roles were reversed that it was a let's say it was a male and he was trying to coerce this female as much as that one which coerced the bard dude it would be on the 2021 you know the 2021 list of disney movies that are being canceled <laughs> yeah it, it definitely it'd be, standard, it'd be that. yeah it'd be peter pan aristocats you know black culture <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah yeah, I mean so, but yeah, just viewers just know it's, it's an interesting scene. But long story short, the witches uh, decide to make a deal, and they say, "You give us the magic sword, and we'll tell you where." No, we'll give it. No, you give us the magic sword, we'll give you the cauldron. They have the cauldron, I believe, and so. Which you feel like it would be the better the better person to make the deal would be would be with the Horn King. I knew the Horn yeah. King was looking for the Black Cauldron. I'd be like, hey, Horn King, you know, throw me some of that. You know, you got this big old castle and all this stuff. Like, hey, you know, hook us up. Yeah, throw some of that moolah, right? But, of course, yeah. they, they, uh, they get the cauldron. They uh, trade his sword. They trade Terran's sword, sword for the cauldron. Yeah, trade his sword for the cauldron, get the cauldron, but then end up getting, what, they, get, they get captured again. Because once again, they they only literally went like around around the block, and they're like, oh, <laughs> there's the around the block from the Horn King's castle, and it's like, oh crap, you know he's here. It's like yeah. these guys are just Param Param is not a very big kingdom. Yeah, it must not be. We're we're talking. This is like this is like one of those micro nations you have, like Luxembourg or or Monaco. That's, that's what this is. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. So and so. They, yeah, go ahead. Yep. So now the Horn King has the cauldron, and he goes into my favorite scene of the movie, which I a little trivia of sound design. So the Horn the Horn King activates the cauldron and starts bringing the back. Uh, he, he huge plume of fire, which is the only scene I remember from my first time watching it was <laughs> the the scene where he where he oh, activates the cauldron because I was just like, whoa, this is like some. This is some flipping slayer, you know. That's just that's exactly what this movie. They needed this movie to be like scored by Iron Maiden. Which, speaking of <laughs> the score, uh, the mu the music provided by this movie was provided by uh, Elmer Bernstein. Now, Elmer Bernstein, I found out, is pretty much the underrated uh, uh, John Williams. I feel yeah. like if okay. you look at this guy's this guy's movies that he scored, he scored uh, The Great Escape, um, The Magnificent Seven, True Grit, To Kill a Mockingbird, Ten Commandments, Heavy Metal. I had to include that. He scored Heavy Metal, the 80s, that 80 movie. And the one that is so blatantly obvious is Ghostbusters. Because you can... Go okay. ahead. I hadn't seen Ghostbusters in a long time, so I was not able to pick that out as well as as you had. But 
it, it's almost identical, especially when he goes that note, the like as yeah. the horn, the horn king is almost the horn king theme is almost identical to the Gozer theme from Ghostbusters. <laughs> give give okay. Ghostbusters another watch, and and you'll think, oh my gosh, this this is, sounds exactly like the Black Cauldron. <laughs> So that's just that's mentioning briefly on the music, but and then the Horn King raises up his army and mm-hmm. he's gonna send them out to kill everybody. Yep, pretty much. Gonna kill everybody, but then guess who shows up? Our dear friend Gurgi, who says, you know, and I think that I don't really like Gurgi. I feel like he has more arts than almost anyone else. So he comes back to I'm not gonna be a coward, so I'm gonna save him. But in order to deactivate the cauldron, you have to put someone lie alive into the cauldron so who decides to jump in but our dear friend gurgi who says it's a coward the first time not going to be a coward again he jumps in the cauldron cauldron deactivates but here to me of all the well there's so many points in this movie where it's just like what the heck but this is the one to me that was the most like i don't understand the cauldron starts sucking everything back into it and Taryn almost gets sucked into it but he's like no you know he grabs onto something so he doesn't get sucked in then the horn king who initially is further away from the cauldron than Terran, is like, no! And then he starts to get sucked into it and does get sucked into it and dies. And there's no really explanation as to why the Horn King couldn't resist, but Terran could. And then you can think of something. But that's what I didn't get, is the Horn King is actually further from the cauldron than Terran, but Terran somehow escapes it while the Horn King does not. Hmm. I just thought it was funny. I mean, you have to kill him somehow, but it's a very, to me, random death for the Horned King. Or at least it it was random because it tried to kill Terran too and couldn't do it. So that's why I was just kind of like, you know. It it was rather gruesome as well. I was watching that. I I, I was watching it the other night, and I was like, wow, that is a lot more gruesome than I remember. Like, he literally goes down to a skeleton and is still, like, holding on to this cauldron and shaking. I'm just like, man, yeah. hashtag seen better days, man. <laughs> yes, very similar to Rasputin's death in Anastasia, which when we, go, when we talk about that movie, we need to talk about how that got a G in 1998 or 1997, something like that. Uh, when that <laughs> that movie, <laughs> we won't go there, but it's very similar to me to Rasputin's death where he just disintegrates and you're like, what, what, what? Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, so... Our heroes leave the castle. Uh, Black Cauldron's deactivated, but Gurgi's dead. They have, uh, and then they meet the witches yet again, and they convince them to bring Gurgi back. I can't remember what they traded them for Gurgi, to be honest. So you know, I have to jog my memory there. Say, I, if I, I'm. Say that one more time. <laughs> You're good. No, so I remember they have Gurgi. They 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 leave the castle, but Gurgi is dead still. They want Gurgi back, so they they meet the witches and the cauldron's again. still there. Like the whole castle, like gets destroyed, but they still yeah, have the cauldron. Yeah. They still have the cauldron, and then they somehow convince the witches, if I remember, to bring Gurgi back. But I can't remember how they convinced them to do it. So it's because the the witches have this whole trading thing, and so they're like, well, the cauldron's got no use to you. We'll just take it back. And the, our our right. good friend, the bard, who's done nothing for the whole movie, finally makes himself useful. And he's like, uh-uh-uh, we're going to trade. And we will, they're like, right. okay, we'll trade the sword. And he's like, no, I don't want the sword. I want Googie. Right. That's right. You're right. There, there, there's the bard's only point in the entire movie. He has no, you're totally right. He has no purpose, but just, to, I, I don't even know. Anyway, so <laughs> they get Googie back. Yay, they're alive. And then it ends with, Penwin is now reunited with Doran, the wizard guy, because the little fairies bring him back. And Doran and Henwin are looking into a thing of water per Henwin's powers. And they're seeing the four of them walk off together, all happy, yippity-yay. And our movie ends happy. And that is that is the Black Cauldron in a nutshell. Yeah, Black Cauldron. Uh, the, whole, the whole story that could have been solved if Doran and Doran just had a little bit of bacon with their breakfast. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. So I think overall, so now having, uh, I think 
overall not having explained uh, O'Donnell's synopsis of the movie with you, I think the yeah, like I said again, it's a fun movie to turn off your brain. But now after the, all the points you made, you have to turn it off hard. You have to do like a hard reset because there's I think the biggest problem with the movie is there's no context to anything. We don't know who the Horn King is. We don't know what he's the king of. We don't know why he's 10 minutes away from the house. We don't know where the sword came from. <laughs> we don't know who these fairy people are. We, 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 don't, we, know, we, don't, we don't know anything. There's no explanation. Whereas I feel like the beauty of like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or other fantasies, and I'm sure the books give explanation too. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to uh, throw Lloyd Alexander to the side, I'm sure. But the movie itself is the problem is, is it tries to create a fantasy world without any context. Whereas Middle Earth, Harry Potter world, uh, all that Narnia, all the other fantasy stuff, you have context as to why things work the way they do. And this has no context. It just it just is. And and on top of that, you have a pointless character in Finflam and very bland characters in Terran and Eowyn. So I, I, I just I feel like... like Go ahead, go ahead. Finish your thought. No no. I was gonna say I had a lot of fun, but uh it's it's not the thinking man film for sure. I I I, I agree. I feel it's, it feels like a very short film. Yes, it feels it very, it feels very rushed. And I think, and I have like I have the same problem with 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 other fantasy like 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 Game of Thrones. Like Game of Thrones, near the end seasons, it feels like distance and travel became like nothing. Which was which distance and travel became was a big factor in the beginning especially in the books and in the beginning of the show. But then near the end seasons, it's like, oh, we need to go back to Winterfell. Next scene, they're in Winterfell. And yeah. this movie, I feel like, like, cause we, cause I think the intention was, was like, so I'm sure that Thorin had gotten plenty far from the cottage with the pig, you know, before yeah. he started goofing off, but it just, the pacing of it and the way that the, it was edited, it just seems, very tight like they want to throw a bunch at you but then at other points there are times where they it's paced very well and i pointed out one of my favorite examples is when the horn king first shows up like there is a a sense of like this guy is messed up and it's just it's disappointing because characters like that you want to see more like we want i want to see more of the horn king i want to see what makes him so feared Mm -hmm. it's and you, there's a way of doing that, but it just it requires more time. Like Lord of the Rings or even Harry Potter, you know, have perfect examples of that because their villains are pretty much absent throughout the whole story. You know, we don't see very much of of uh, Voldemort at all, especially in the beginning. And then Sauron, uh-huh. we never see Sauron, but you still like. I, I draw back once again to Ralph Baskey. Ralph Baskey's Lord of the Rings, which once again I'm going to call you out, Parker, because you haven't seen uh-huh. it, and it's you need to see it, dude. And but that movie, even better than the Peter Jackson version, I feel does a much better job of creating this mythology and this this misted mysticism around Sauron, where he is just the way Gandalf talks to Frodo about him. It's so fearing, and they start off pretty good. With the beginning, when they're like the Horn King, it's it's really it's it really is. But then once we see the Horn King and he doesn't really do anything, it it it, it feels like it would have been much better and to have more focus around him rather yeah. than rather than these very one note characters like a princess who really doesn't even need to be a princess. Like there was no reason they just no. called her a princess just because she was probably a princess in the book. Yeah, you know, it's a fantasy you know, movie, so we gotta have a princess somewhere, you know. I, yeah, and and we had talked about this on our our personal time, but like I think this is a Disney movie that would really benefit from a a gritty Pirates of the Caribbean like remake. Like you don't need to go hard R and make a Resident Evil movie or no. you know Game of Thrones, you know, showing tits and people getting their arms cut off. But I think just very much 
building up on the atmosphere it creates because I think it is very particular because it's a fantasy that 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 it rides that line of horror, which is my favorite yeah. kind of horror. My favorite horror is fantasy horror, stuff like Dracula. Dracula is pretty much fantasy horror because you've got the castles, you've got you know him turning into mist or into a wolf or bat or something, and I think and you know that's kind of the same with. Pirates Caribbean, Pirates Caribbean is a action pirate movie that borderline is a horror movie. You know, you got skeletons and you got ghosts and octopus face dudes. So I, I think that was, I think this movie, I think it should be given another chance and we need a live action gritty rebate remake of it for our generation that can now handle it. I I agree. I agree. I think, I think at the time they were trying to do, Okay, you know, our standard, you know, 77 to 90-minute Disney cartoon. But we also know fantasy is popular right now, Lord of the Rings and all that. So let's, let's you know, and we also know Don Bluth is getting places with his dark movies. So let's all put these together. And I think that's the problem with it is they try to make it a quick, you know, Disney kids film that, you know, kids have a short attention span. So let's make a blink of an eye Disney movie, but with all these elements that demand context and background and so that's that's the that's the issue with it so um um to me so i think overall uh oh and one last no i did want to say we're talking about jar jar binks characters to me now the more i think about it gogi's not a jar jar binks the jar jar binks to me is the little green green gremlin dude that is like the henchman for the horn king that to me is the jar jar What's his name? His name was Creeper, and actually, another trivia oh, about him, he was he was not in the books, but they wanted to make a henchman, a little personal henchman for the Horn King, and he was uh, almost lifted, copied, word, you know, design and all from the Green Goblin from Spider-Man comics. <laughs> yeah, because the Green Goblin's a lot more sinister. This guy... I mean, let's face it, 99% of his lines are either, it's not my fault, it's not my fault, or, come here, pig boy. I mean, that's all he does. <laughs> he has no purpose. Got, that, that is what he does. So, he's a Jar Jar. Overall, Black Cauldron, I think I have to give it, oh, it's a rough one for me, between two or two and a half out of four. I'm a four-star guy. I think five stars too many to rate from so i go for and for me i think after our discussion today i'm gonna go two with black with the horn king being the highlight a good like of those two stars a star and a half go strictly just to the horn king the other half star is everything else that that is my final judgment on black cotton a two-star movie that had a lot of potential but they tried to mix um epic fantasy with you know uh one stop you know blink of an eye disney so that way kids would would be able to you know sit through the whole thing and it it kind of failed or got close to failing so that's my view on the black cauldron so do we want to do we'll do officially four stars that will be our rating that's what this I is do. our first episode Okay, yeah. Yeah. So out of four, um, yeah, I'm gonna have to give it two pig boys, two big boys out of four. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, like I yeah, a lot of for the same reasons. You know, I think, you know, I think those glaring problems and the character problems are is what holds the movie back because I think it is such a gore. Like you'll notice, all we've done is praised the the animation. It is gorgeous. It's Disney. And it's it's not sketchy, and it flows, and it it uses the CGI very well, and the backgrounds are beautiful. But as for the story, you just you have these bland characters doing a very simple thing, in which they fail in the end, and then they get saved by Dios ex Gergi, <laughs> and you yeah. know which you know maybe. I, maybe I do have to read the books to get the context, but you know that stuff I don't doesn't rub me too much the wrong way. You know, as long as it's portrayed 
very good, you know, you can go without contacts. But that's the thing is it doesn't it's not portrayed good and you don't have that context to fall back on. Exactly. Because like Lord Lord of the Rings, you know, Lord of the Rings is was able to have characters that had no context behind them. Like like Faramir is a great example of a character who had no context behind him. You know, Peter Jackson obviously added context in his movies, but like had no context, but still Faramir is such a strong character. Exactly. In his interactions with Frodo at the end. And so I think that's where this 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 movie majorly fails is just it's a very cookie cutter story with very cookie cutter characters and it just it doesn't hold up to the yeah. long run. So, uh, so yeah, that's my that's my score. Two two pig boys. Okay, so we both have similar on that. And I love your analogy with Lord of the Rings. I've I've seen Lord of the Rings movies. I've read the books, um, and the books also they give more context in the movies in some aspects, but in some aspects they don't. Uh, Tolkien um, was a historian, not historian. He was a, a linguist um, by heart, I think, and it shows. Uh, so. But that being said, even though the characters only have context, they are still strong. Uh, but you nailed right ahead, Black Cauldron. They're so cookie cutter that even even though we don't know the background, which is already bad enough of an error, they make it worse by just putting in these cookie cutter bland characters, you know. And 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 uh, so yes, two yeah, two out of four for sure. Um, and and. For I guess for our, our listeners out there, my my uh, logic with the four star system I got one time from a local newspaper was one was I think they said zero was just flat out terrible, one was poor, two was fair, three was good, four was excellent. That was a so that's how I think about it. So I think two is perfect. It's fair. It's a fair movie. And, and I think and I think that's a great way because it's like I don't think we'll ever you know this is Disney and this is just for the rest of our podcast you know this is Disney we're talking about you know Disney is so it's so malleable it means so much different to other people some people see it as a very harmful force in the world and some see it as a very happy force in the world or a very fake force you know I think just me personally and I'm sure Parker would agree you know we just we're very appreciative of what they brought to to people's childhoods and that they mm-hmm. continued to pioneer and they were able to bring something so something so the life so life so full of life from something that is so lifeless but as a piece of paper or an animation cell that Absolutely. people can watch Simba's dad die and be able to cry like or, you know, that was such a big deal when Disney first started was people were crying at the fact that Snow White had been cursed and she had died. And so many people were crying over what essentially was just a bunch of ink drawings. Yeah. And, you know, that's why, we wanna, that's why we want to do this podcast. And that's why we want to share just our ideas and how we feel. And, you know, maybe someone hasn't seen Black Cauldron. I wholly recommend it. I don't know about you. I recommend people watch it. I agree. I agree. It's still fun. I think it's a and it's, it's a unique piece of of, uh, of Disney that you just don't see uh, uh, you know very often you hear about. So I think it's worth a watch just as, just because it's fun and it's uh, something that you know one of those underrated things one of those underrated things that you probably won't discuss much more often. So you might as well just just watch it while it's on your mind. Um, and and the last thing I'll say I guess about the power of Disney and why Black Cauldron was lacking is Disney is its its best things are timeless, and you know they're timeless for this reason. Uh, Snow White and Seven Doors, first full-length animated movie, um, was made in 1937. Now, the fact that kids today, that a five-year-old, right, will watch, sit down, and watch a movie that is pushing 90 years old, that seeks wonders that that is the true power of Disney is it's timeless um and you know even though things change and certainly you know I watched Pinocchio uh relatively recently because I you know and there's certainly things in there that I don't think would fly and that it's a, it's a dark movie but all I'm saying is is it still entertaining today and and I think kids still watch it and go yeah 
even though they were talking about leads that are 70, 80-plus years old. Black Cauldron, not so timeless, and uh, I think that's why it's a two-star film. But that's the overall power of Disney. There's a staying power there that I think very other few things, very other things, yeah, a staying power that very few things have. Um, so... It's so interesting because it's it's they're made for kids, but and that's the thing. So actually, I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna retract that. Disney, I never thought made kids movies. They make family movies, and that's how you yeah. you and me were you know two thirty year old guys feel comfortable talking about the wonder and beauty of animation that this particular company has provided children through, you know, centuries. You know, decades, I guess, not centuries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting there. Yeah, no getting there, getting there, there. Sixteen years, so there you go. But yeah, um, but well, thank you, thank you, Parker, for this is a good first episode. I thought. I don't know about you. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with it, and I think it's great to start on the Black Cauldron because uh, how many people talk about the Black Cauldron? You know, so I, I, I'm glad we did. Thank you. Yep. Yep. So we'll we'll uh, pick out the next one, and we're ho- and we're gonna hopefully try to get uh, episodes out to you. We don't know. Uh, we don't have a schedule yet, which we'll talk about that, and we'll definitely get uh, out to you guys uh, as soon as possible. So uh, again, thank you. I'm I'm Caleb Plum. All right. I'm Parker Talbot, and uh, yes, thank you for listening to our our podcast. And uh, go watch yourself the the Black Auburn. So okay. See you guys later.